a better a thousand. Now he's selling stuff like $25,000. Right. Back then, um, he said that the reason you guys can't sell at that price point is because you don't believe that it's worth it. And people can sense that on the webinar. Me, I believe my thing is worth it based on what it can help people do. So that kind of like light bulb moment and that I've been selling stuff $1,000 and up ever since 2011 or sometimes 3000 What's up, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Traffic, Sales, and Profits show. I'm your host, Lamar Tyler. And today, we got like a, a great episode, right? We're going to cover a lot of ground and get you a lot of nuggets. I'm here today with Ron Douglas. Ron, you are a New York Times bestseller, investor, entrepreneur, uh, a webinar expert. <laughs> Anything I miss? Family man. Husband, yeah. right? Let's see. Husband, dad. <laughs> uh, Hooper, right? Shop show, right? Facebook comedian. <laughs> Hooper, yeah. Play Hooper. What's up, man? L listen, I can say, uh, before we get started, I will say this. Your Facebook post inspired me. Appreciate Just this week, I said, what would Ron do, right? And I put a post on my page about the Freak Neat documentary on Hulu. And I said, it's only one way you can find out if you're in it. I did a whole thing, put the image up, and then I told him, come to TSP Live, because we got Jermaine Dupree there. You can ask him yourself. I said, I said this is how, this is how Ron, Ron moves tickets. I said, what would Ron does do at a time like this? We need to get people's attention and then move tickets. Man, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me here. It's a huge honor. You know, we've been friends, but I also follow you. And you're one of the more inspiring people that I right. follow because you're always on it. You're always like a leader. You're always doing your thing. And you're always just motivated to get to new levels. And me, someone, you know, occasionally I get complacent. I watch your podcast and I get inspired again. So I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, you have, um, I want to share some stuff with the people in a minute. But first, I'm going to talk about your backstory. You had like a very interesting backstory. Um, originally from New York, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, but you didn't you, like just start as an entrepreneur. You actually worked in financials, right? Yeah, yeah. Worked on Wall Street for J.P. Morgan Chase for quite some time. Hated it. <laughs> while I was there, I became in, got my MBA. I became a chartered financial analyst. I was really going to do that as a career. And oh, your audience will appreciate this. Like one. <laughs> So one day I had I had this like mentor. He was a black guy named George Gilmer, and he was like, he called himself the Diversity Initiative. He was like the only black guy that was a senior vice president. Okay. And um, one day he's in the elevator with one of his executive vice presidents, and they're talking about the need to hire more black people, right? Yep. And um, he says the guy claims like, uh, I don't see why I have to lower my standards just to meet some diversity initiative. So it didn't occur to him that he could hire a black person or a minority, same standard or all better. Yeah, exactly. You know, it just like, she just saw it as being forced to lower his standards. So when he told me that story, I knew there was no place for me there and I had to really get back on my entrepreneurial grind. So what was the first thing you did out of that? Did you start as an entrepreneur? Right, well, I was uh, selling cookbooks actually. Okay. So I was doing this part-time. So I was like, had my part-time gig and I was working there full-time. And then um, I just focused more on that. So I had a, a book called America's Most Wanted Recipes that I was self-publishing. It was a, a book about uh, restaurant recipes. It was At the time, it was just an e-book on this network called ClickBank. And I had other sites that were promoting this e-book. And being that, you know, it's an e-book, it's pretty much 100% profit for yeah. people to download it. So I was able to pay them 
you know, 50% commission just for sending me, referring me customers. What was the price of the ebook back then? It was 1997. Okay, okay. Back then, yeah. So I had um I had a funnel back then where I had a membership site and upsell, and this was uh, 2003, 2004. Okay. You know, so I was kind of... Crimes killed it back then. People ain't know what in the good. <laughs> they probably were just clicking everything. Bye, bye, bye. I'm doing all right. I, was, I mean, it got big. I, I built up a list of like 275,000 uh, subscribers because people that didn't want to buy that little ebook or for them free sample recipes and whatnot. So I built up this huge recipe list, and that led to other things that we could talk about. It. Okay, yeah, let's go into it. So, because you went from that to actually being like, how how did you go from okay, ebook? I'm on the internet making this money, building a list to like being traditionally published. Right. Well, I uh, one of the big things I did was go to events and meet people and interact with people. And one of the guys I met was uh, Tom Bill. He's actually the MC for okay. our event WebinarCon now. But uh, he was working with uh, Jim Kelly at the time, and he was helping Jim Kelly get publicity. Buffalo Bills quarterback. Buffalo Bills okay. quarterback. Yeah. And uh, he he told me I told him my story. I, you know, we talked. And he was like, well, this is much bigger than a little ebook on ClickBank. This could be huge. You could get publicity for this. This could be on TV. You can get a cooking show, all this stuff. So he kind of opened my eyes to the possibility. So at that event, I started asking around if anyone knew, like, a literary agent or a publicist and got introduced to a, a few people, and I started going down that road. And that's what happened. So I happened to find a publicist that um, was friends with uh, Mike Fosame, who's also a speaker at Webrocka. And... Um, his girlfriend worked at the New York Post. So uh, they got me the story of a local Long Island man figures out uh, the secret to KFC's original <laughs> recipe. Did you know, you know, the, the, oh, what is it, 11 secret spices? <laughs> yeah, yeah 11 herbs and spices. So I didn't, I just had a copycat version because the yeah. book was about copycat recipes. Yeah. So um, they got that story in the New York Post and then, being living in, living in New York was an advantage too at the time because all the local stations, the Foxes, the Good Morning America, they all filmed from from New York, right? And they all look at the local papers for potential stories to bring on. So that thing kind of went viral. I started getting on a bunch of different shows. I ended up getting a book deal with um, Simon and Schuster to do two books. And to date, I've done six books with Simon and Schuster, three books self published. I've sold sold about 1.7 million copies wow. of those books, and it really spearheaded my career into what I'm doing now. At, at what point did you leave your job? Right, so... Because I'm so like, like you got this going on the side. It's, it seemed like, was this like a, a short period of time that everything, everything kind of exploded quickly, or still was like over the course of... So, so I was focusing on that business self... I was self-publishing from 2003 to 2007, and I had sold about 60,000 copies self-published, just through the ClickBank, and I started using Amazon. And then I got the book deal in 2008. So I left my, I actually didn't leave my job. I got laid off in uh, 2007, a month before my son was born. Wow. Exactly a month. I had just bought a house, and um, that was one of the toughest phone calls I ever had to make, call home to my wife. I had a BlackBerry at the time, I remember. And I remember calling home and saying, look, I just lost my job. I don't know what we're going to do. She's at home eight months pregnant. Wow. You know? And she was just calling and said, this is what you wanted. Like, this is going to work out. I believe in you. This is going to be a thing. And I promised her that by the time she was 45, that she could come home, retire from the corporate world, work with me. So that was one of the biggest accomplishments was being able to do that, like fulfill that promise. And, you know, now she works with me. She's spent more time with the kids, and she's been that stay-at-home mom. But I go, I'm going in off on a tangent, but... No, nah, that's good. That's basically, good. in uh, 2007, July 2007, got laid off, never looked back, and... 
all type of doors open for me. So that event I was talking about was also in 2007. So everything kind of fell in place. Let me ask you, when all these things were happening, were you like, okay, I'm going to blow the roof off this thing? Or were you like, yeah, like it's like people telling me it could be, because all the time people come up and be like, hey, this could be this good. Were you like, eh, like I just walk out through the paces and see it. Were you like, yeah, let's do it. I think I can be a New York Times bestseller. Oh, I had no idea I was going to be a bestseller. I had no idea it was going to take off the way it took off. Like, I I wish I could do it again. I wish I could, had a formula where I could just, like, every year, you know, do that. But, no, I mean, all I knew was I had a decent amount of money saved up. I was a finance guy. I knew I had, you know, something to fall back on. I knew I could always get another job somewhere. I had I had my MBA, I had my CFA. I, yeah. you know, had some experience. And um, I knew that I had my little business. I had an asset. I had those email subscribers that I could make money from. And I was actually making more from the business than I was from the um, job. So, you know, you talk, I like to tell the story about like, I just came to the office and told my, my boss like, <laughs> you know, to get this job, I'm out of here. You know, but I was the safest, I did the safest thing you could possibly think, you know, was the, no, didn't take much courage to, to um, not even like leave the job, but to get laid off and not look back, not go on any more interviews and just focus on what was already working with the business. That's good. I, I want to ask you too about that time. Um, when you went and you sat down with Simon, Simon Schuster, how much of an asset was it that you A, already had 6,000 plus sales and then B, that you had that list? Like, I'm assuming that something came up or something you would like, because you know, I always tell people now, like whether you're trying to go traditional or anything, right? Like, like if you got your own assets, you got your own people, like you got a major bargaining chip. Like how much did that help you out, you feel? Yeah, that was the whole ballgame right there. I sold 60,000 copies on my own. I had a big email list. Like I had a platform and they knew I'd be able to sell my own books through them. And so it wasn't much of a risk for them. So they were very low margin. Traditional publishing is a very low margin business. So they're looking for short bets. They're looking for home runs. And I was about as close to it as you can get. Plus, you know, you look at what I was doing. I was just kind of piggybacking off the restaurant brand names, you know, given my version of Olive Garden, Red Lobster, the Cheesecake Factory, KFC, all these different dishes. So to them, it was like easy to market and already had a platform, and it was a proven thing because I already did it self-published part-time, <laughs> you know, from home. <laughs> you know, so they're like, if he can do this, we can sell this thing. All right, I got one question about this. Uh, first time you went and you hit the New York Times bestseller list, what, what did that What did, What did? did that feel like? What was that moment like? Did you celebrate? you do anything special? It was surreal. It was surreal. I mean, I didn't expect it. I had no idea. They just called me up one day and said, congratulations, you, you're on the New York Times bestseller list. I was... Number six, I was on there for six weeks straight. I was beating people like Martha Stewart had a book out. I was ahead of her. <laughs> that was so crazy. Um, yeah, we went on a vacation. We went out to dinner and stuff. We celebrated, but I didn't really know what it meant. Yeah. You know, I just knew like, that's, that's great, you did it. But I didn't know like how prestigious that was or what type of impact it would have and how I'd be able to use it going forward. That, probably how hard it was for <laughs> for most people to like to try their whole life to be like, oh, my goal is that. But selling you, that really wasn't the goal. Nah, it wasn't all. <laughs> all right, so so after this time, you know, you got the books. You said uh, three New York Times bestsellers, right? No, no, one, just one. one okay, so I've done six books. Six books, okay. Three self, three self-published and three nine, nine total books. Okay, so once you move through here, like, are you like, hey, I'm just gonna keep writing books for the rest of my life? Is that what you're thinking, or like, did you transition to something else? Um, once I became a New York Times bestseller? Yeah, like, like, yeah, once you got the books and stuff like that, you thinking, like, hey, I'm just going to keep writing books for the next 40 years, or? Well, I didn't really know. 
I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just I was going to keep it going as long as it was hot. You know, they kept they gave me another book deal and another one after that. I was like, okay, let's just keep working this. But I was also, you know, I'm I was a direct marketer. I was an online marketer. I was, you know, in the Warrior Forum. I was selling stuff on ClickBank. So I knew that I was going to use that credibility to be a bigger internet marketer, a bigger influencer, someone bigger in our space. What was the next thing that you sold that wasn't a book after that? Oh, I sold a course about um, called Publicity Secrets. And um, there was this big forum called the Warrior Forum, and I partnered with the guy on there to put that out. He asked me to put it out. He he advertised it to everybody on that, that forum because um, everybody wanted to know, like, how to, you know, because I was like one of them. I was just a guy <laughs> chatting. You know, imagine a guy, somebody in your group, and all of a sudden they're blowing up, and everybody like, how does how are you doing this? How do you get on TV? And they're like, oh, look, he's on this show, he's on that show. And they were all, like, posting about it. And what any good marketer does, when people ask about it, you make a course. Like, I don't right, know. right, right, right. Sell what you know how to do. Sell, sell what you've accomplished. It's, like, the easiest thing to do. It was good. It was good. So was this, because uh, a lot of people also now know you as one of the founders, uh, co-founders of WebinarCon, as a webinar expert. Is this the time you start doing webinars, or were you already doing them before then? Yeah, no, I started doing webinars around 2010, okay. around that, about around that time when the uh, third book came out. And... um you know, I was doing this low ticket, selling low ticket little courses and whatnot. And um, my buddy Ty Cohen okay, yep, introduced yep. me to webinars. I think I was the second person to ever promote his webinar. We had a, a pretty much me, him, and another guy named Vondre. We um, kind of joined together and we would promote webinars. Like every week we'd have a webinar we'd promote. Sometimes we'd throw in our own webinar and then we'd have people promoting our webinars. So we just got into the webinar game back in 2010, 2011. And he introduced me to higher ticket stuff. Like, you know, he, we thought he was crazy. He was selling a course for a thousand dollars, like nine ninety seven. <laughs> like, man, and the first time I'm scared to do that today. Right. So, Jesus, right. <laughs> right. back then it had to be real crazy. Right. So we told him, like, you're crazy, man. Like, we were like, this would sell better if you sold it for three hundred bucks. He was like, I don't care. The numbers work out better <laughs> at a thousand. Now he's selling stuff like twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> right. But back then, um, he said that. The reason you guys can't sell at that price point is because you don't believe that it's worth it and people can sense that on the webinar. Me, I believe my thing is worth it based on what it can help people do. So that kind of like light bulb moment and that I've been selling stuff thousand dollars and up ever since two thousand on webinars, sometimes three thousand. Look looking back to when you first started webinars, what were some of the biggest mistakes that like you look back and was like, man, that was that we look at our business all the time. Somebody asked me that they were like, Hey, what what were some business mistakes you made? No, they they said what is what is the biggest business mistake you made? And I was like, dude, I got like too many for just for just what? I said like every year I probably would would realize what are we doing? Like, and we ain't doing that, and we ain't doing that. Like, what's some if you look back, some of the biggest mistakes you made in webinars? If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur, a black business owner, and you don't know where to go, if you feel like you're alone, if you feel like you don't have anyone to talk to that gets how you feel or gets the pressures of being a business owner in today's climate guess what we do? I want to introduce you to the Traffic Sales and Profit Mastermind. Now in the TSP Mastermind, we have a 12-month program that's going to help you reach your next six, seven, or eight figures in business over the course of a year. Now along that year, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching, we have accountability, we have community, we have live events, and everything you need in order to reach the next level. For more information, visit us at www.trafficsalesandprofit.com. Uh, and webinars, you know, just Focusing on, well, webinars in general, just trying to teach too much on webinars. Like, it's counterintuitive, but the more you teach, the more people feel like, like, so if you're teaching, 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 and then trying to sell a course, 
they feel like they already got the court. Yeah. You know, so that's one big mistake. A low 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 ticket items on webinars is really a, a kind of a waste wasted opportunity. You have a room of people there, they're captive, they're ready to buy, and then you sell them something for two hundred bucks. You know, only a certain percentage of people are gonna buy anyway. Yeah. So you might as well, you know, thousand, two thousand, you know, so hire a ticket or even get them, you know, on the phone to get them to schedule an right. appointment and, and sell your, your extreme high ticket stuff, the twenty five thousand, the fifty thousand, whatever it might be. Yeah. Let me ask you but I wanna break down each one of those. Because at first you talk about over teaching. Um, I tell people, I think how I realized we were doing this uh, with our original brand, Black and Mary Kids. Because I would have people on a webinar that said, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then they say, I'm going to go implement all the stuff you told me and they'll come back and buy. And people say, no. Never come back. <laughs> no, they don't come back. I'm sure they never implemented the stuff they learned that night with all those notes, right? Um, and I still see that like all the time. Like people just teach and teach. I, like, I feel like people love to share information. Like if you talk to somebody, you work with them, like, like, they're like is it a formula? Like, like how do you tell them, or get them to just stop sharing. Because so, we still want to give value, right? I think I think what I hear most most times, people think that when you tell them don't overteach, they think they shouldn't. They think it's like it's just like a gap, right? They either I'm showing them, giving them everything, or I'm giving them nothing. Like like where's the 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 middle end? Thing? Right. Well, there's two ways to look at it. There's two strategies you can use. If you want to teach a lot, have a solution that makes everything you just taught easier, right? So say if you're selling a done for you uh, funnel setup service. You could talk about all the things that goes into creating your sales funnel, sales copy and product creation and offers and all that stuff. And they'll thank you for the content, but they'll be like, I don't want to do all that. It seems hard. They're like, well, we'll do it for you. So that's one way, you know, to use the content as a way to make your done for you more attractive with your service, whatever you're selling. The other way is to be what's called useful, but incomplete. So you teach people what you teach people why but you don't necessarily teach them how to actually do it you teach them the importance why it's important to do these things why this is a big opportunity why they need to be doing this for their business how this can help their business grow their business but you ain't necessarily teaching why i mean teaching how how yeah how to do it you sell the how right but i tell people nowadays like courses you don't want to position your product as a course right i know that sounds crazy but when you think course you think, okay, $300, $500, you think it's a thousand courses out there. You think, okay, maybe I can find this information on YouTube. Right. So courses are becoming saturated, but you could take a course, add other things to it, add a group to it, add some type of, you know, done with you to it, some type of done for you aspects to it. Call your thing a program. This is my program, XYZ program. You know, this is not a course, here's why. Explain to them why it's not right. a course. So you, you frame it in a way that makes them see it as a much higher value. You know, you could throw some type of group coaching in there with it. So the more more things you throw in that anchor it at a higher price, when people think group coaching, when people think done for you, and then you, you start talking about like ten thousand, twenty thousand, you know, and then when you're selling that for two thousand, you know, huh. that becomes a deal. Like this is a bargain. Yeah, and it is good to see that as a, a good way to combat course fatigue, because I know with, with uh, I hate to admit it, y'all, but with me. I have purchased some courses and not gone in. <laughs> and I saw <laughs> I'd be like, man, it's good, but I'm too busy right now. Let me just let me just buy it and I'm going later and later ain't never come. Um and I would see people all the time, you know, when I sold courses, I would buy the course. It never ever like it became a thing like I gotta get these people to log in, mm-hmm. right? And start and start actually um consuming it consuming the information. Well, it's it's things to consider, right? When you're positioning your offer, there's the lowest level is do it yourself. 
right? Take this course, here's your login, do it yourself. It's the lowest level, the lowest thing you could charge for it in terms of price point, what they see, and it gets the lowest results for people, right? Yeah. Then you have done with you, right? My team will do it with you. You know, if you could, you have to consider how you, your business works. Like, can you do something with the client? Can you coach them on it? Can you look over their shoulder? Done with you is a little bit more. Uh, done for you is like the next level when it's done for you if people can just like the more people can feel like it's an investment right, right? so when you think of when you think of courses you might think 500 to a thousand when you think of investment you know people will invest their entire bank account they will invest hundreds of thousands whatever they have because they know you know if they don't invest it it's losing value right so people will spend whatever if it's an investment especially if it's proof especially if there's guarantees especially if they believe that they're going to put money in, make money out. So the more you can position your offer as an investment and the less they have to do, right? It's like, you know, the more they have to do, the less they're willing to pay, the less they have to do, the, the more they're uh, willing to pay. That's true. That's good. Let me, let me ask for the second part you said around mistakes. Um, you said people selling stuff is low ticket, wasted opportunity. Let's talk, because one question I hear a lot of times about webinar is, even like what is, they like, what is high ticket, right? Because they like, people always like, give me a number. Like, what is high ticket? And then what do you recommend when it comes to um, selling high ticket? Like, like what's the limit? Because I have people say sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, this amount, you got to get them on the phone, right? You can't sell as much. Like, like how much, you've been around a long time. Like, even how much have you seen somebody sell high ticket straight on a webinar without ever talking to the person? I mean, in my opinion, 2,500, 3,000, you start to get to that point where people want to talk to you one-on-one -on -one where you need to, Ask them what out to them one-on-one, get to know exactly their needs, customize something for them, get them on the phone. So, I mean, it, I think it depends on industry yeah. and whatnot, but, you know, for expert industry, for coaches, consultants, uh, people selling courses, people selling done-for-you stuff, I think uh, 3000 2500 3000 So you could have, like, you know, 2500 or three payments of 1000 you know, as your, your price option. But beyond that, I mean, it's all about testing, too, test to see what works, but that's what I found is the thing. But even to sell 3000 you got to be good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Another thing you could do, I mean, I'm not totally against low ticket if it leads to a higher ticket. Oh. Right? So I'm not totally against selling something for $300 if all those customers, you take those customers, put them on the phone, sell them something higher. You know, have someone reach out, have a setter or somebody reach out to those folks, offer them something else. So have an immediate upsell. A lot of people do webinars and they think it's just supposed to be just one that one product, but you can have upsell, you can have a funnel and as part of your webinar offer as well. That's good. I don't think we actually have ever had a back end funnel to upsell straight off of uh when we sell on a webinar. Yeah, absolutely. You can do that. That's good. Never mind. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> let me put a pinpoint in this account. <laughs> I, I, I got stuff to tell the team we can know this uh shoot. <laughs> right. The invoice will be in the mail. But so here's the thing with an upsell is like you don't want to you don't want to sell someone a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then you only give them the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> but then once they buy it they're like okay well the bread is extra exactly you know you want i don't know if that's a good analogy it, no that makes sense that makes sense who's going with it yeah but you want people to whatever you're, you're selling you want it to fulfill whatever you know benefit that is supposed to fulfill whatever you promise that's a standalone and you want the upsell to be complementary to enhance to or be completely different products altogether, but something that they, something else they may need. So you you buy that that camera, you know the camera is the camera. You're not gonna sell them like oh you need a plug-in 
for that camera. <laughs> but you will say, hold on, Apple does that all the time. <laughs> like, but you will say you, you need a, a tripod. Yeah, right. You know, to hold that camera up. That would be your, your upsell. So make it a complimentary, but not a requirement of the purchase. God, don't be Apple. Either, I get his phone, but I ain't giving you the charger, but, right? <laughs> right. I give you the charger with the uh, 10 centimeter cord. You Nobody know? likes that, but <laughs> right, you can get away with it. All right, good stuff. So I love it. So now we um not a, we know um you know how much to teach and not to teach. We talked about too how um we know we can set the price points and such. What are you seeing the successful ways for new people that are new to web don't have a massive audience to get people onto their webinars? Because that's another problem point I see where, you know, somebody's like, hey, I did a webinar, I didn't sell as much as I wanted. One of my first questions is like always like, how many people are on it? And it's like they never did enough to get enough people even registered so that all of the other numbers going to work out like like what what tips you give people like how to get more people on the actual webinars right well traffic uh, you, you know yeah. that's one of your three things that you teach right now. traffic sales and profits like the first thing right so you got to get traffic you gotta i mean it's it's not easy it's not i won't pretend that it's easy to get people on a webinar it helps if you have some type of uh big idea, some type of big trend that you're piggybacking off of, some type of thing that people really want to know about, something that's recent and in the, in the top of their mind right now where they're like, okay, I need to learn this. I need to get on this webinar. That will help your show rate, but you still got to get it in front of people. So you just exhaust every opportunity you have, your, your social platform, whoever you can get from there, your your email list, your um, you know running ads to it, but then you have to know your numbers. and well, So, I mean, we have this event, WebinarCon. A lot of people come to that event to do what's called cross promotions. So most of the people that have a webinar offer, they have what's called an affiliate program where they'll give a commission for people that refer sales or for people that promote their webinar. So that's probably the, the easiest way to just have a good presentation and approach someone like, hey, you know, I have this presentation on XYZ. I think it'll really help your, your audience. Um, would you be willing to... Uh, you know, show them this presentation. And by the way, I have this offer also, it will give you 40%, 50%, whatever it might be yeah. for just for everybody on that presentation that, that buys. So then it becomes, you know, just knowing your numbers, knowing, being able to communicate, like we've done this webinar, this is what, that we, what we usually um, do per attendee. Like for each attendee you bring on, we usually do you know, $200 in sales per attendee. You know, just knowing your numbers and just also just being able to, reciprocate in, the, in that instance. If you want someone to promote you, can you promote them? So it's a matter of building your list, building your audience. So webinars also don't have to be a top of the funnel thing. Uh, you can have a low ticket thing that leads people into your webinar, right? The webinar could be a bonus training for everybody to buy as the low ticket thing and then you can make up, focus your sales on the uh, webinar. You could also turn your webinar into a workshop where you're charging, you know, maybe you're charging hundred bucks for people to attend this workshop. And that in that instance, you want to give them content, but you also want to parlay that into your uh, your offer as well. So there's many ways you could take it, but it's just a matter of, I would say, just getting in the room, getting in the game, getting to know, seeing what other people are doing, to attending events like yours, just seeing how other people are promoting their stuff and, and just being a known entity where people want to do business with you and do cross promotions and joint ventures. That is just really getting good at uh, generating traffic. There's also ways you can do it with, uh, you know, paying Instagram influencers and influencers to do what's called shout pages, or shout outs to, to shout out your offer where you're giving out this free webinar or free event. You want to turn your webinar into an event, like, and look at it like you're promoting a, a movie or something. Like, 
what's the the background theme of this thing that people really want to know what's going to attract them to get into this webinar don't just think of it as just you know i'm just going to do a webinar think of it as i'm doing this event i'm getting these people on this event maybe you have an encore for the webinar as well so after the webinar is another thing where you want to maximize the amount of people that see that presentation right so I can go on for days with. Nah, keep going. I just want to people. Somebody home right now rolling those like, well, don't stop. <laughs> All right. Right. So, so the thing with a webinar is like, you can have two versions of it. You can have an evergreen version that plays like just in time or every 30 minutes, like a pre recorded version. It helps if you have people like monitoring the, the chat to make it feel live, to interact with the people while they're um, watching their presentation. If someone asks you, is it live? You can say, we're here with you live. How can I help you? Yeah. Uh, if you have that. That works to be able to get more people to see it. The other way, if you do it live, only a percentage of people are going to see it. Maybe, you know, if you sign up, maybe 25, 30% of the people will see that particular presentation. So now you got 70% of the people that haven't seen it yet. So you run an encore, you run a replay, you do it at different times. And I like to do this thing called the uh, a webinar recap, right? So that's taking the main parts from your webinar presentation, making a shorter, version of it a shorter video like a recap highlighting the things they need to know and then still having your offer in there okay so some people are just not going to watch a three-hour presentation two hour whatever it might be some people just need a different format maybe they need to split maybe you need to split it into three shorter videos maybe you need to do a recap maybe you need to do a pdf summary but you you kind of exhaust all opportunities with the goal of i want to get as many people as possible that registered to actually watch, to see my offer. Right? And when you think of it in those terms, you can um, do better than than you would normally. That's good. I feel like, to, especially today, and it's going to get worse if we go on, we're fighting for attention so much to get people just to be like, hey, over here, I got this thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think what you said is so important because nobody's looking for like another webinar. Ain't nobody like, <laughs> ain't like a TV show, like, you know, everybody have a line like, hey, anybody found any good webinars? I could I, I watch this week, right? I ain't got nothing to do. Uh, but like I said, really, I'm thinking about the ones I go to. Like you said, they brought my attention to it. They've made it like an event. Um, it almost feel like it's like a live training summit conference or something that I'm going to. Um, and I feel like I'm getting some value out of it, right? And then most time, by the time, if if it's if they're doing good, way before we get to the end, I'm just like, they got something I can buy. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, like sometimes I'm like, look, can I, I wish we could skip to the end. Like, like, do we got something I can buy and I'm ready to go. So good. So I did want to talk about something before we left, because what you've done a great job of, I think, is then beginning to move internet money into other investments and stuff like that. Um, I've heard one of the things is, you know, I kind of came into the space. I'd heard so many stories of people who had it all, lost it all. I was like, man, like, I, I, like it, literally, it literally scared me to have all my money in my business, right? Because I'm like, I don't know what's around the corner, um, and I want to see what's around the corner, right? So I want to do things now. I, we you know when I, uh, I listen to people, I talk to people. You've done a great job. It looks like, of like I said, making money online and then moving into other asset classes, things like real estate. We talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was my biggest fear too. Is like having to go back, right? Like you know, a job or or having to go back to like not having money. So, I mean, one of my influences was the uh, the book Rich Dad Poor Dad and how he talks about like. You build up your uh, your assets until the assets are enough to pay for your lifestyle. So that was my my whole goal was to do that. And I got thrown into real estate early on in uh, 2007-ish, 
where my mother's house went into a foreclosure. Right, so my, my brother and sister were still living there at the time, and she asked me for help, so I took over the payments. She inherited the house my grandfather could never really afford it, and I took over the payments for the house, and um, it got me into real estate. And the house had a lot of equity, and it was a two-family house, so I immediately had tenants upstairs that I was responsible for collecting rent from, and um, I just started studying everything about, about real estate, started talking to different people, I took out a home equity line on that house and used it to buy my first investment property. And I started looking for different cash flow markets, the markets that you have a multifamily investment potential. So that's how I really got into real estate. And I just saw it as, you know, if I could just get this to a certain number, and of course that number increases over time. <laughs> but back then I thought if I can just get it to 10,000 a month, you know, paying me profit, I'll be set. You know, that was 20000 that was 30000 I'm like, well, how far can I take this, you know? So what are the, so it's like two ways to look at it. What you've done is smart, too, in, in terms of investing back in your business, because there's no better return, like real estate right. compared to investing back in your business, customer acquisition, building this big thing. Personally, me, like, I starting off in, I started in 2001 in this business, and I was never sure that it was going to be something that was going to last, like, you know, this long, like two decades later, you know, I had no idea. So I'm like, I'm going to milk this thing. I'm going to invest my money wisely because this could go away any day. Yeah. So um, sometimes I wish I would have taken more of the money, put it back in the, to the business and customer acquisition because I was taking most of it just buying properties with it. Like now I'm up to um, 40 units and, and I have 10, 14 buildings, 10 properties. Four of the buildings are, have two properties on it, so 14 total buildings, 10 properties. I actually bought three in, in January before the rates started going real high. So it's been great for me. It's been great for my family. It's great to know that you have a certain amount of money every month, you know, no matter what. You can take the month off. It just, you know, because people are not going to stop paying their rent. If you're in a good area, even if they stop paying, you can get them out, put other people in. So the thing about, the thing to know, though, it's not easy. Like, I took some lumps with the real estate game. Absolutely. Like, I've had properties where I had to get drug dealers out at crackheads at people shoot each other at, you know and these are not even properties in the super like hood hood it was like blue collar areas but you know it's just a lot of situations I had to work through I had property managers that were duplicating invoices and taking money and hiding and taking cash and not paying me the rent you know it was you know it took a while to build it up and it doesn't just stop start with like it's like you don't want to just have one property. You want to have multiple properties where the problems kind of offset each other. Right, this property's doing bad. This one's doing good. It kind of offsets. But there's no better uh, situation in terms of taxes. Right. All that depreciation, all those properties are right off every year. Um, in terms of just steady, long-term investment growth, like the properties appreciate every year a certain amount. Like the other thing about um, multifamily properties, and yeah, yeah, Julian Gordon, Exactly. He's like yep. a multifamily. Yep. He has a buddy of ours. Um, the other thing about multifamily um, properties is their value is supported by the rents. So like a regular property, it can go up, it can go down, it can go down, market crashes, it can go down 30% or whatever. But people are always willing to invest in something that's going to give them 8%, 10%. So it's so a natural floor to it. So it can only go down a certain amount because someone's going to will be willing to pay for it based on the rents as long as you don't lower the rents and I, i've never lowered the rents since doing this so yeah, it's just a one of the best investments uh one of the best things i've done 
Nice. If you could only do one, real estate or entrepreneurship, which one would you pick? Ah, uh, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Well, I mean, the real estate is a form of entrepreneurship <laughs> yeah, even, yeah. and investing. But, um, you know, like doing what I do, like getting to meet cool people like you and do your podcast, it kind of gives you purpose. It kind of gives you, you know, something to look forward to, something exciting, something creative to do. So I would do this because this funds the other thing. Yeah. You know, and not vice versa. So Cool. I love it. All right. So people are watching. Um, how can they get a hold of you? You talked about webinar kind. How can they learn about that? You can attend that uh, phenomenal event, right? I was there last year. You spoke. Uh, I spoke right last year, and I'm um, um, I'm bringing folks back with me. Ever since I was there, people were like, "What's that thing you was at?" I want to go. I want actually just last week, I was telling somebody about Webinar Con and needed to be there because I was like, "It's not a lot of places you can go where they're high level conversations, mm-hmm. and um, they're doing work and you know creating webinars and, and making money." So I tell me, hey, you need to get in that room. How can people find out about that and follow you? I appreciate that, absolutely. And that's the whole goal of WebinarCon is to only attract high-level people because people that just get it started are scared to death to do webinars, so they don't show <laughs> up to WebinarCon, you know. Less, um, so you can go to WebinarCon.com. Con is uh, short for conference. I can't tell you how many times people think, a con? What is this con? Like, uh, con, like Comic Con. Right. WebinarCon. Maybe you con people with these webinars. Right, right, right. right. I make jokes about that during the event, too. It's, it's hilarious. But, yeah, webinarcon.com. If you want to get in contact with me, uh, rondouglas.com or um, Instagram, Mr. Ron Douglas, or Facebook, this Ron Douglas. All right, there we go. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming through. I want to thank you all again for watching another episode of Trap Sales and Profit Show. We'll see you next week with another amazing guest only here. Check us out. The Combo, your home for conversations on black entrepreneurship and wealth. Available on your favorite platforms.